Wednesday, June the 2nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, the WHO approves Coronavac and the Pope approves new rules. First, the world in brief. The World Health Organization approved a second COVID-19 vaccine developed in China for emergency use. The WHO said Sinovac Biotech's Coronavac prevented symptomatic disease in 51% of people and prevented severe symptoms in 100%. The vaccine is already approved for use in 29 countries, which between them have administered more than 430 million doses. Its approval allows Coronavac to be included in COVAX, the global vaccine sharing scheme. As oil prices surged to levels last reached in 2018, the oil producers cartel nicknamed OPEC Plus held fast to its policy of gradually increasing supply. By July, global output should be 2 million barrels per day greater than in April 2021. Buyers had hoped for something more drastic. Meanwhile, Joe Biden suspended drilling licenses in America's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, overturning an order of Donald Trump's. Pope Francis made the most extensive changes to the Catholic Church's penal code in four decades. The reforms widened church law to criminalise the, quote, grooming of minors and broadened the definition of sexual abuse to include harm to adults. Despite formally allowing women to administer communion and serve at the altar earlier this year, the Pope affirmed that they cannot be ordained. Joe Biden visited Tulsa, Oklahoma, where hundreds of African Americans were murdered by a white mob in 1921. At least 35 blocks of black-owned buildings, houses, businesses, a hospital and a school were burned down. For much too long, the history of what took place here was told in silence, cloaked in darkness, said the president. My fellow Americans, this was not a riot, this was a massacre. Kutumba Wamala, Uganda's former army chief and the current minister of transport, survived an assassination attempt. Four attackers on motorcycles shot at his car in Kampala, the capital. Mr. Wamala was wounded in both shoulders. His daughter and driver were killed. Such incidents have become common in recent years in Uganda, where several prominent figures have been gunned down. The economies of Australia and Brazil rebounded to pre-pandemic levels. Australia's expanded by 1.8% in the three months to March. That was more than expected, although further growth may be slowed by renewed lockdowns. South America's largest economy grew by 1.2% in the same period leading analysts to forecast annual growth of 5% or greater, even as the disease continues to ravage the continent. House prices in Britain rose by 11% over the past year, the fastest increase since 2014, according to Nationwide, a building society. Buyers seeking larger properties and a temporary suspension of property transaction taxes have fueled demand. Lower interest rates have also turbocharged the market, as in America where the Case-Shiller National House Price Index is rising at an annual rate of 13%. And fact of the day. The American government has offered a $15 million award for information leading to the arrest of Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela's strongman president. And now here's today's agenda. Long way home. Global Labour Markets Today, the International Labour Organization, an arm of the United Nations, releases a report on employment trends during the pandemic. Last year was grim for workers around the world. Overall, hours worked were down by 9% compared with the year before. But the losses were not distributed evenly. 
Those in poor countries and the poor within richer countries suffered disproportionately. In America, low-wage employment remains 28% below its pre-crisis levels, according to an American recovery tracker. The big question is how long the carnage will last. At a global level, fiscal stimulus has been unusually generous, putting money in people's pockets and thus allowing them to spend and create jobs. But rich countries account for the bulk of this, and will probably reap the bulk of the gains. Places that could only implement smaller stimulus measures, such as Africa and Latin America, may be living with the labour market after-effects of COVID-19 for a while yet. All change, please. Israel's new president. Israel may or may not be getting a new prime minister in the next few days. But it will soon have a new president. Parliamentarians today elect a new head of state to replace Reuven Rivlin, the incumbent, when his seven-year term ends next month. Two candidates have gathered the necessary signatures to run for the largely ceremonial role. One is a former Labour leader, Isaac Herzog. The other is Miriam Peretz, a teacher who stepped into the public eye after two of her sons were killed in action while serving in the armed forces. Mr Herzog, an experienced and well-connected politician, is the clear favourite. But the election is a secret ballot. Last-minute horse trading could still affect the result. Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's embattled Prime Minister, has refused to endorse either candidate. He is on trial for alleged bribery and fraud, charges he denies, and may be hoping for a presidential pardon. Why anger either of them? Baleful Bail Hearings Hong Kong Puts Democracy on Trial In March, 47 prominent opposition figures in Hong Kong were charged with subversion. Their crime? Holding a primary election before running for seats in the city's parliament. The authorities called it an illegal plot to undermine the government and a violation of the city's new national security law. Most were denied their initial application for bail. Yesterday and today, 10 defendants have been in court to plead for their release pending trial. Initial bail hearings in March dragged on for four days, sometimes late into the night. Several defendants collapsed and had to be taken to hospital. Veteran lawyers in Hong Kong said they had never before seen such a poorly handled case. In denying bail to Claudia Mo, a former lawmaker, the judge cited, among other reasons, her WhatsApp messages to foreign journalists, which criticised the use of arrests to intimidate Hong Kong's political opposition. Irony, it seems, is not the judge's strong suit. Homegrown Operation Huawei Huawei will today launch the second iteration of Harmony, its smartphone operating system. The Chinese telecoms giant was once one of the world's biggest supplier of equipment. Though hardly on its last legs, being labelled a security risk by American officials, for which no evidence has yet been offered, and subject to sanctions has made life difficult. Huawei now cannot use some American hardware and software, or have its chips made in factories that use American equipment. So it is trying to reorganise its business around homegrown components and software. Huawei has claimed Harmony is an entirely new operating system, but its first release in 2019 was a fairly straightforward quote fork or new version of Android, which powers the majority of the world's smartphones. Android's open source nature means anyone can adapt it, putting it beyond the reach of American sanctions. The second version has supposedly been created with assistance from Russian programmers. 
Tech watchers will be keen to see if it is genuinely different. Bookies Favourites The International Booker Prize Today, the International Booker Prize for Fiction translated into English is awarded with its £50,000, $71,000 bounty divided between the winning author and translator. This year's shortlist spans oceans and literary forms. Only one finalist, At Night All Blood is Black by David Diop, a French Senghalese writer, resembles a standard realist novel. And even then, the First World War trauma pushes fiction to its limits. Maria Stepanova's hotly tipped In Memory of Memory fuses memoir, history and invention in its many-layered chronicle of a Russian Jewish family. Other works include 16th century historical reconstruction from French writer Eric Fouillard, gothic short stories by Mariana Enriquez, an Argentine, satirical science fiction from Denmark's Olga Raven, and a novel in a superposition of fact and fiction about the pioneers of quantum science from Benjamin Labatut of Chile. Whichever picks up the prize, the shortlist tells the story of the genre-bending nature of modern literature. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Giuseppe Garibaldi, who died on this day in 1882. The day the peasants will be educated in the truth, tyrants and slaves will be impossible on earth. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.